see you all here this morning. Um, isn't it lovely when you have one of those days when things are all predictable and everything's nice and as you expect it to be? Well, that's how Herod's day started in this passage. Everything seemed to be going fine. He was uh, strong in, in his position. Uh, he'd kept in with the Romans. He would kept in with his own people. And next thing, these three strange people arrive and say, where's the king? And suddenly his life was thrown into turmoil. And as the phrase is, life seemed to be giving him lemons. Uh, and as we know, when you get lemons, you're supposed to make lemonade. You're supposed to make the best of it. But here's someone who seemed to lose it and seemed to worry and fear. Uh, so hopefully that's not, that, that's not us this morning. But this story has got so many tracks to it. Um, it's not just, I think, as you see in a Christmas card, uh, three bearded men and a baby uh, with a few camels thrown in. Hopefully I can convince you this morning that there's a bit more to this story. There are contrasts and reversals uh, and there's also three major themes of God's revelation. And the first of these themes of revelation is revelation through nature, because God reveals himself through nature. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever thought, who on earth are these Magi? These wise men from the East, I don't know about you, but when I try to strip back all the little things from childhood, all the nice little stories that sound a wee bit like a fairy tale, and yet you know they're completely true, and you're trying to make sense as an adult of it. Now, these were probably astronomers, possibly not astrologers, because the Scripture tells us not to put our trust in anything only Jehovah and in the Son, Jesus. Yet even then, these are experts from a heathen land, um, who seem to be aware of something momentous happening. And when I want to sit in my little Christian bubble uh, and think that Jesus is only for myself and not for all those other people who don't know him, this passage speaks to me. When I think that my friends at work are beyond his touch, this passage unsettles me. Uh, when I hear of modern-day Muslims having dreams about Jesus and turning to put their trust in him, this passage unsettles me. I hope it unsettles you too. You see, the children, as the children of Israel discovered when they went to the land of Canaan and thought that their Jehovah God was only for where they used to live and they thought that they best keep in with the gods of Canaan, no, that's not true because our God Jehovah is the God of the whole earth. He's the God of the whole world and Jesus has a say in the life of his harshest, his harshest critic and his biggest denier. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he'd called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. You got a feel for Herod. He seemed to have everything going for him. He managed to walk that tightrope uh, between the Romans and the Jewish authorities. Uh, he seemed to keep in with everybody. Uh, now, okay, he didn't read the Bible or the Jewish Bible as he was instructed to in the Old Testament. And okay, he didn't actually know God or have any interest in him, but he was a good guy and surely he'd be okay. Surely everything would go along smoothly and he would manipulate things and keep things under his control. But what we know from the story is that Herod was only two choices 
away from a lost eternity and from, and from missing the birth of Jesus completely. A bit like you and me, really. What was worse for Herod was that Jesus was only five miles away. A bit like you and me, really. Jesus is ever close to those that seek him. Beware to this morning if you're religious because the religious leaders of his day should have been looking forward to the Messiah. They should have been excited. But they were so worried about their pomp and position that they fell into line and they supported their king and never went to seek out uh, this, this wonderful Messiah that was being born. So the passage says, In Bethlehem and Judea they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The second theme this morning is that God reveals himself through Scripture. He has this way of revealing himself through nature, but also through Scripture. And he has foretold this wonderful event. But I don't know if you're a bit like me, why Bethlehem? This small town, five miles south of Jerusalem, built on a limestone ridge overlooking some nice fertile land, why Bethlehem? Well, when we look at the story, we see that Micah predicts that Jesus will be born there. We see that David, the, the king of the Old Testament, was born there. We also know that Jacob had buried his beloved Rachel and set up a pillar in memory of her there. And it was where the people of God had welcomed in Ruth, the Moabite woman uh, who went on to marry Boaz and they set up home there. Bethlehem is uh, translated as the house of bread. So we're better for God to provide for his people and to shepherd for them. And this is where Micah has the prophecy that Jesus will be born there. Isn't it interesting that whenever God writes his book of salvation, he uses geography and geology and biography. He uses real lives. He doesn't just make up characters. These are real people. And I wonder if there's a chapter in there for each of us how God has worked in our lives and is using us for his kingdom. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I don't know about you. I consider myself reason, reasonably educated, and I'd love to imagine some quaint old men with all these folk stories uh, and beards and camels, just like the Christmas card. And yes, I don't believe that's necessarily inaccurate, but this story does, doesn't let us sit there in the, the fairy tales and the, uh, the romanticism. I don't understand astronomy. The idea of any sun millions of miles away moving through galaxies and being seen on earth and pointing to a cosmic event. I'm lost. I hope you are too. But when the space telescope beams back images of Saturn's rings, I hope you think about this passage. You see, the Magi were a priestly tribe from Mede and Persia, practicing holiness and knowledgeable and ancient wisdom and the interpretation of dreams. They believed the star under which a person was born had significance. Now, whatever the phenomenon they saw, whether it was Halley's Comet or a supernova or the conjunction of planets as, such as Jupiter and Saturn, whatever this amazing celestial event was, they studied it. They knew there was some significance. 
So we can't just discount this. We see that there's, there's something else happening here. And it, just in case you think that Jehovah was a colloquial God, a local God, just for the Jews, be aware that the whole ancient world had got wind of a cosmic event, of a Messiah coming. It's found in the writings of Josephus, sorry, Josephus, never get that name right, uh, of wise men in the Middle East and in Greece and the writings of Roman historians. The writings of Virgil, the Roman poet, talked about a Messiah uh, in the Messianic Eclogue where he thought wrongly that the Emperor Augustus was the savior of the world. So we see that God is God of the whole earth and people knew something was happening. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother and they bowed down and worshipped him. Again, let's think beyond three bearded men and a baby in a crowded stable. These foreign priestly astronomers without telescopes had witnessed a cosmic event and made a long journey. And I would suggest it was a long journey because remember that Herod asked them when the child was, was, when the star first appeared. And now they arrive and they meet uh, the mother of Jesus in a house. Uh, there's no mention of Joseph, maybe he was out making a living, maybe trying to provide for them. And it's a house that's not a stable. This would suggest to me that this might have been a year or two after the child was born. So that suggests to me also that this was a long journey. And these men had come far and maybe given up much. They would have come with no guarantee of success. A journey through foreign lands where you traveled armed and nervous and wet and cold. This journey is put into words by T.S. Eliot, the, the great poet. In his poem, The Journey of the Magi, Eliot takes us deeper to the story of what that journey feels deep down inside to one of these magi. Eliot published this and other poems around the holidays as a time of, type of Christmas card, in this case during a period following his own conversion. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, remarked about this poem, Eliot never wanted to present religious faith as a nice, cheerful answer to everyone's questions, but as an inner shift, so deep you could hardly notice it, yet giving a new perspective on everything and a new restlessness in a tired and chilly world. I'm going to read the, the words that T.S. Eliot penned for this as he imagined this journey of the Magi. Uh, if you want to close your eyes and listen, just be, be uh, sensitive to the words. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year, for a journey and such a long journey. The way is deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels, galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted. The summer palaces on slopes, the terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out and the lack of shelter and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night sleeping in snatches with the voices singing in our ears saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a watermill beating the darkness and three trees in the low sky. An old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver. 
and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place, it was, you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this, set down this, where we led all that way for birth or for death. There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but I had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our palaces, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. With an alien people clutching their gods, I should be glad of another death. In this T.S. Eliot, shows the change that coming in the presence of Jesus brings to us. We are no longer at ease with our old life, our old dispensation, alien people clutching their gods. I think, sometimes think, if you don't believe this, then try going out shopping around Christmas time. So many people, throngs of people, many of them not knowing the Savior, many of them reaching out for things in which to find meaning and not finding it. And it's interesting, too, that when we talk to people that don't know Jesus, that they're somehow uh, alien to us because they haven't got this hope inside. The third theme this morning really hinges on that, that God reveals through his Son. Yes, he reveals through nature, he reveals through Scripture, but ultimately it's coming to know his Son that makes the difference. Then they opened their treasures and and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is the gift for a king, but Matthew introduces a king who is to rule not by force but by love, to express his will not with a crown but with a cross. Do you see again the the reversals here? Frankincense is the gift for a priest, because yes, Jesus is king of kings, but he is also the priest that ministers to us and on behalf of us to God. Myrrh is the gift for one who is going to die. Does that shock people? Here we have a king, but he's being foretold to die. And myrrh was one of the substances used after Christ's crucifixion. Then we have this escape to Egypt. Again, strange, isn't it? When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared as Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Here is a king, but a king that is running for his life. Because Herod, the, the, the king that we'd heard about in our first verse, he didn't react well to this. When he was given lemons, he didn't make lemonade. He didn't make the best of it. He didn't show even any, uh, any interest, any looking into this. All he cared about was his own position and his own jealousies. And ultimately, he went to a lost eternity because Jesus was five miles away and he never thought to go and look for him as a savior. Also, we might like to romanticize these gifts, but isn't it strange that here we have a couple who went to Bethlehem from their own, own place. Uh, there was obviously no family to take them in, so they went into a stable. Here they are, still probably not very affluent, and they need to escape. So maybe these are practical gifts from a practical God, because ultimately God is a practical God but also he's an amazing God. He's always in control. It's also too interesting in this sense of contradictions and and, uh, reversals. 
we have instead of Herod's uh, lack of interest, we have Joseph's faithfulness. We see that he was close enough to God to discern his will. He was a man of God. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of reading the scriptures. So God knew that whenever he talked to him, whenever he led him, that he would obey. Joseph was being asked to risk his life to fulfill God's will, and he gladly obeyed. Herod was faced with the same question, but he went back to his own fears and jealousies, and ultimately he was lost. What about you and me this morning? How do we react whenever we come almost five miles from Jesus, and yet he's even closer? He's actually only a prayer away. See, that's the thing that is interesting as these wise men sought over maybe a year or two to go and pursue and look for Jesus. We see the change in their hearts because isn't that the truth? The truth is that's not quite the whole story because Jesus pursues us. And if you haven't felt that leading of his spirit, I pray that you do because Jesus ultimately comes after us. Uh, it was put into words by Francis Thompson in that great poem, The Hound of Heaven, where he likens the love of Jesus to be like a hound chasing after him with love and with care. And I'd like to read a little bit of it this morning because I want to sort of interpret how Jesus really pursues us and reveals himself to us. Yes, the wise men sought after him, but ultimately he sought after them. And there are two speakers in this poem. I'll raise my left hand for whenever the speaker speaks and my right hand whenever Christ speaks. Uh, so listen either with eyes closed or, or, or as led. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears and under running laughter, I hid from him. Of visted slopes, of visted hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase, unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, the majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet and said, all things betray thee who betrayest me. I pleaded like an outlaw, by many a heart-shaped window with red curtains trellised with intertwining charities. I think what he's getting at here is, it's a window, the charities represent the three charities of Greek mythology, uh, they're connected with Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So maybe the speaker is attempting to escape God by losing himself in an affair. But don't trade heavenly love for earthly love. They don't compare. Don't compromise your faith thinking romance is worth more than it. For though I knew his love who followed, yet was I sore adread, lest having him I should have naught besides. In other words, he's worried that he's going to lose everything else by following Jesus. But we know that's not true because we find our peace in him and we can never be at peace once we have tasted of him and the, the old things, the old dispensation. Still with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, came on the following feet and a voice above their beat, not shelters thee who will not shelter me. I sought no more that after which I strayed in face of man or maid, Nigh and nigh draws the chase with unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. And past those noised feet, a voice comes yet more fleet. Not contents thee who contents not me. Now of that long pursuit comes at hand the brute. His voice is round me like a bursting sea. Have you experienced that bursting sea of God's love? 
because you can't resist it. Lo, all things fly thee, for thou flyest me. Strange, piteous, futile thing. Why should anyone set thee love apart? Seeing none but me makes much out of nothing. And human love needs human meriting. How have you merited? Of all man's clottest clay, the dingiest clot, you don't even know how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee I did but take, not for thy harms, but that thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies as lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. And the speaker says, Halts by me that footfall. Is my gloom, after all, shadow of his hand, but it's outstretched caressingly? And finally Jesus says, Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am the one thou seekest. Thou drove away love from thee when thou drove away me. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. On the words of Don Francisco, the, the songwriter, I loved you long before the time your eyes first saw the day. Everything I've done has been to help you on the way. But you took all that you wanted, then at last you took your leave and traded off a kingdom for the lies that you believed. Although you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears, although you've gone so far from me and wasted all these years, even though my name has been spattered by the mire in which you lie, I'll take you back this instant if you'll turn to me and cry. When you come back to your senses and you see what's been to blame, see who's been to blame, remember all the good things that were yours with just my name. Then don't waste another thought before you change the way you're bound. I'll be running out to meet you if you'll only turn around because I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. There is no sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love and it's all yours if you'll come home again to me. Don't run away like Herod. Don't miss it. Jesus is close. Don't leave today without Jesus. Clasp his hand and come because his love is, is unmissable. And we have people here this morning to talk to you if you haven't already experienced that love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this Christmas uh, the wise men sought after you, but all the time you're seeking after them. You're seeking after Herod, you're seeking after you, you're seeking after each of us this morning. And Lord, we just pray that we may find ourselves in you, find you as this, this lover of our soul who has everything for us, who wants us to rise, clasp your hand and come, and to put our trust in you for this year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.